Hello and welcome to Vegas Odds Football. I'm your host, Daniel Ocho. In this episode, I'm going to be continuing with our divisional previews for the AFC South. I'm going to be talking to you about the Titans, the Colts, the Jaguars, the Texans. Not exactly the sexiest names to talk about betting on this year, but I think there's a lot of value to be had as we'll discuss. But let's dive in. Okay, so now our AFC South divisional preview. I know I mentioned that these teams are not the sexiest to bet on here, but you have to keep in mind when thinking about betting on seasonal win totals, sometimes these divisions, the teams in these divisions, are the best value you may find because nobody wants to bet on the Texans. Nobody wants to bet on the Jaguars this year. They're teams that kind of stunk last year. Uh, the Texans have been terrible for a while. The Jaguars have been terrible for a while. And I think people may be overlooking where some value may be found on both teams. Uh, and the Titans, I think, are a sexy pick coming in. The Colts are obviously everyone's darling every offseason when they bring in some new journeyman quarterback to ultimately disappoint them. But I think it's important to contextualize this division before we dive into each team. So last year, the Titans win the division. They're the number one overall seed. The Colts finished second. I think the Texans were third with four wins, and then the Jaguars were fourth, ultimately having that first overall pick. Uh, the Jaguars and Texans were unmitigated disasters last year. I think the Texans showed a little more promise with Davis Mills, strangely being maybe the second best rookie quarterback in last year's class, at least from what we've seen so far. Um, Trevor Lawrence was obviously a major disappointment. This is a guy who was projected as a franchise changing superstar, a guy who's as much of a surefire lock as exists in this league at this point. Uh, and he really was just too turnover prone, making some backbreaking interceptions. The Jaguars lose to the Texans in week one in just sort of a brutal fashion. Uh, the Texans didn't even have Deshaun Watson last year, and they essentially won the same number of games as they did when they had him the year before. So in projecting this division, we have to start at the top with the Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans won 12 games last year. As I mentioned before, they were the number one overall seed in the AFC. This is a team that really went all in last year. I think because of the way things ended, we're not really giving credit where credit is due to this Titans front office and coaching staff. They really went after it. They, they brought in Julio Jones to pair off with A.J. Brown. They wanted to have this giant receiver tandem. Uh, they wanted to have Derrick Henry running the ball down people's throats all year. They believed in Ryan Tannehill, uh, sort of taking this team to where it needed to be. They brought in Bud Dupree the year before from the Steelers. Big free agent signing gave them a lot of money out there on the edge, and they needed that sort of versatility to get to that next level as a defense and as a roster. And honestly, it kind of worked out because, as I said before, they put a beating on some teams last year. The Titans put a beating on the Super Bowl winning Rams. And I think it's really all lost in the wash now because of how things ended in such disappointing fashion with their ultimate divisional round loss to the Cincinnati Bengals. But the Bengals were maybe the hottest team in the NFL, one of the hotter playoff teams we've seen in the last couple of years. And I think that what really happened here is that Ryan Tannehill sort of turned into a pumpkin before our eyes. I've been a big Ryan Tannehill supporter uh, since his coming onto the Titans team and sort of turning that franchise around. But I think last year was the first time we really saw some regression for Tannehill. And you got to remember that last season was the first year we were assessing Ryan Tannehill without Arthur Smith. Arthur Smith moved on to the Falcons where he's right now the head coach. And Tannehill was left in an offense that was not 
maybe what he was used to. Derrick Henry was really still relied upon, obviously, but the underlying metrics for Henry last year showed sort of a regression. He wasn't the same player on a rush-to-rush basis. He wasn't breaking down defenses with those huge back-breaking runs even before he went out with that foot injury. What Henry was doing was getting the rock an absolute shit ton of times. Uh, He was a guy who was going to shatter the rushing attempt record uh, prior to his foot injury. Ultimately, he does have that injury. Tannehill is forced to take on a little bit more responsibility, and they tried as best they could to sort of hide Tannehill. Julio Jones last year didn't really play for this team. He had that lingering hamstring injury. Obviously, A.J. Brown missed some time as well. But in projecting this team for this year, we have to acknowledge this is a team that went for it and kind of struck out. They were the number one overall seed. They lose in the second round. Now, going into this offseason, they had an opportunity to go one of two ways. They could have gone all in, pushed their chips into the middle of the table, like teams like the Bills have done, like teams like the Chiefs have done in the past, like the Bucks have done, what we've seen the Saints even do over the last several years in terms of kicking contracts down the line, giving guys extensions just to move money around so that they can extend that Super Bowl window. But the Titans didn't do that. Instead, the Titans draft Malik Willis, Uh, they trade A.J. Brown, they bring in a rookie, Traylon Burks, Uh, they bring in Robert Woods, a free agent signing from the Rams, they sign Austin Hooper, and they also lose Roger Saffold on the offensive line. So this is clearly a team in transition. And for all I've said about the whole Malik Willis thing, this is a guy who's a third round draft capital guy, so it's not like he's expected to step in and be an immediate starter. But with all that said, it seems like the Titans look themselves in the mirror this offseason and acknowledge that whatever version of this Titans team we've seen over the last few years is not going to get to the level required to win a Super Bowl. I think beyond even the roster mentions that I already talked about, her roster moves and sort of transitions they've had, the biggest indicator that this team views its championship window as maybe having already passed and sort of transitioning to a point where they're trying to extend that window by bringing in younger guys and rebuilding a roster that that may reflect a team that could win in a few years as opposed to go all in this year, is the fact that Ryan Tannehill did not receive an extension this offseason. It would have been pretty easy for this Titans team to say, okay, Tannehill, you're our guy. You've taken us to the playoffs now three years in a row. Uh, We feel like we are getting there. Number one seed last year. We got to the AFC title game a few years ago. And We feel that you can take us to the promised land, so we're going to move your money around so we can maybe bring in some more talent in the free agency market this offseason. But the Titans didn't do that. They don't trust Ryan Tannehill. They have every ability this offseason to simply move on from Tannehill, to cut him uh, after this season, and to move in an entirely different direction as a franchise. I'm not sure whether... Ultimately, that's the direction they will go. Uh, But if this team ultimately disappoints, I would not be surprised to see Tannehill in another jersey next year and to see the Titans sporting an entirely different roster, really. Even Derrick Henry is a guy who feels like he's been doing this a while in terms of just getting the punishment on his body as a runner, uh, getting those high-volume seasons. And if we know anything, it's these high-volume seasons for these running backs really start to add up. I'm not sure how many more years Derrick Henry has of being this bruising back who can really sustain this season-long production he's had, freakish 2,000-yard production. Even last year, he showed signs of slippage in his underlying metrics outside of, you know, he, he kept up those stats, those counting stats, just by virtue of volume. But if you look at some of the underlying metrics, like he faced more stacked boxes last year and his efficiency was down across the board. Um, teams were sort of hedging on him because they didn't 
want to allow Tannehill to beat them. Uh, not all of this was him. We got to acknowledge that he was hit behind the line or at the line of scrimmage on like 50% of his carries last year, which was second in the league or something like that. Uh, I think only Ezekiel Elliott had a lower rate of rushes than where they reached the, the line of scrimmage without being hit. But still, this is a team that I think is in transition here that sees the end of the line coming. And even their free agent signings bring in a younger receiver in Traylon Burks, who they're expecting him. They need him on offense to step in and be an immediate difference maker. And we've seen those rookies do that in the last couple of years, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. But I think those guys have really sort of spoiled us uh, in terms of what we should expect from rookie receivers. Rookie receivers usually don't slot in and play at an all pro level. Jefferson and Jamar Chase may just be that freakishly talented. So I'm not expecting Traylon Burks to step in and reproduce A.J. Brown's production over the last several years. Um, I think he'll be a decent receiver, but what I'm most concerned about with this Titans team is some regression to uh, the mean on defense. Last year, they were top 12 defense by basically every metric, and we've already talked about sort of this transition they're going through offensively. So if this defense regresses from a top 12, top 10 unit to a middle of the pack unit, uh, and this offense regresses as basically everyone is expecting it to, then we're talking about maybe a seven win team, not a 12 win, 10 win team, because this division got a lot better. Um, I don't think there's going to be rollovers with the Texans and the Jaguars again, and I just don't see a world in which this Titans team is going over their projected nine and a half win total. Nine and a half wins seems like a lot of games here. And you know what? If, if you look at the odds for where the Titans finish this year, the odds are basically juiced in, in my favor. I think it's minus 150 right now that the Titans go under that projected win total and plus 110 or something that they win the division, which terrible odds, terrible odds. Earlier this offseason, they were the favorites to win that division, but we've seen the odds now swing back towards the, the Colts, who, who we'll talk about next. But in finishing up this Titans assessment, I have this team going under their projected nine and a half win total for all the reasons I just discussed. The roster here is just not what it was. They lose a lot of the star power with the idea of hopefully keeping this contendership window maybe open a few more years by bringing in some young guys. They don't extend Tannehill. Uh, this is a team that sees the end of the line coming for this version of the roster. And I think they're doing what they can to try to be somewhat competitive now without completely bottoming out. And we have to talk about Vrabel as a head coach is going to keep this defense in games. Uh, I, I think this defense will actually be somewhat decent, uh, may, maybe a top 12 unit again. But where my doubts really are is with this offensive unit to repeat the production it's had over the last couple of years. Uh, I think everyone's getting a little bit older. They lost some star power. And I just don't see this team going over their projected win total of nine and a half games. So just before we move on, I'll briefly touch on the prop pick for this team. The prop pick here is really just Robert Woods over 64 and a half receptions. And the reason that I'm high on Robert Woods going over is the fact ACL tears are not what they used to be. He obviously injured his leg late in the season last year, and he slots into an offense where his primary competitors for target share are going to be Traylon Burks, a rookie who, as I mentioned before, I'm betting against rookie receivers always, uh, and Austin Hooper. So I feel that if Robert Woods can stay healthy, just by virtue of the target vacuum that's been created in the absence of, of all these guys who are just old faces here, I don't see a world in which Robert Woods stays healthy and does not go over 64 and a half receptions. Next up in our AFC South preview, I have the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts this year are projected nine and a half wins. Their offseason was quite ridiculous. They bludgeon 
Carson Wentz on his way out of town. Uh, Jim Ursay is basically talking nonstop shit about this guy as he leaves the franchise, how he's not really a leader, how he's not really the guy that they thought they were getting, that uh, they lose their defensive coordinator who really did a lot with this unit, and Matty Berfalis, who's now the head coach of the Bears. However, they bring in some decent players, uh, Yannick Ngakwe from the Raiders. They bring in Matt Ryan. They bring in Stefan Gilmore. These are win-now moves. These are not we're playing for a few years from now moves. You bring in Matt Ryan, who has had a few down years with the Falcons, but he has not been the problem with these Falcons teams. He has been a decent to, to good starting quarterback on some piss poor rosters. He was throwing to YMCA guys last year. I, for one, am relatively high on Matt Ryan still as a passer. On top of Carson Wentz getting kicked out of town, uh, they, they lose Zach Pascal, they lose Xavier Rhodes, um, they, they also lose T.Y. Hilton and their, their longtime tight end, Jack Doyle. So this receiving corpse is just looking very differently than it has in the last several years. With Aberfalus leaving, uh, they bring in Gus Bradley from the Raiders. Uh, this is a guy who's been around the block as a former head coach. Uh, I love former head coaches who find their way into defensive coordinator situations. Because typically the results are pretty good, uh, with few exceptions. When some of these head coaches sort of flame out and end up back in the coordinatorship world, a lot of times these guys are sort of chomping at the bit to show people that they still have it. And Gus Bradley, I think, has the potential here to lead a good, strong defensive unit. The, the talent is obviously there. Gus Bradley plays this cover three defensive scheme that really tries to take away one side of the field. Uh, they rely heavily on one corner, typically. Gus Bradley is sort of a perfect fit for what Stephon Gilmore does. I don't think it's a natural sort of relationship with what Bradley was running with Richard Sherman back in the day, but Gilmore is still a hell of a player. We're talking about a former defensive player of the year here. So the Colts brought in a former defensive player of the year and a former MVP this offseason. There aren't many teams who can say that. In looking at this Colts roster, I can't help but think they are pushing all their chips to the middle of the table in a way that the Titans just really are not. And I appreciate the fact the Colts sort of face a difficult situation if this strategy does not play out. They've brought in another old quarterback to hopefully bring this team deep into the playoffs. They've essentially been trying to do what the Rams did last year, bring in Stafford for like five years now, and it hasn't worked out yet. If Matt Ryan could be something of an improvement on Carson Wentz, then we could be talking about a team that is really dangerous, a dangerous out in this AFC playoffs. I think based on how I'm talking about them now, you may have picked up that I'm pretty high on this Colts team. Their odds right now to win the AFC South are minus 110. Uh, Their projected win total, as I mentioned before, is nine and a half, same as the Titans. It seems that the books are pretty similar to me in terms of where I think this will end up. I have the Colts going over their projected win total of nine and a half games, and I have them going over pretty easily. I think this is an 11 or 12 win team, honestly, um, because I just love what they did in the offseason. I love this roster even before um, the the Matt Ryan acquisition. I think Carson Wentz was unfairly maligned for some of that late season collapse. The Jaguars loss, obviously, to keep the Colts out of the playoffs last year was To me, as much about their defense being unable to stop a pitiful Jaguars offense as it was about Carson Wentz completely imploding in the worst possible moments. For all the flack that Wentz has gotten on his way out the door, this is a guy who 
threw for 27 touchdowns and seven interceptions last year. He wasn't a schlep. He just completely was untrusted by by this coaching staff by the second half of the season. They were throwing the shit out of the ball in the early part of the year. And by the time the second half sort of came around, this offense figured out that they couldn't really trust Wentz to not turn the ball over. So they relied more heavily on that rushing offense. I mentioned how there's not a lot of depth in that receiver room right before, but someone who is there is Michael Pittman. This guy was so good last year with Wentz. He really showed why the Colts took him in the first or second round two years ago. And I think that with Matt Ryan, he continues to develop into a superstar. Matt Ryan, for all his flaws, has been amazing at producing star to superstar level receivers over the last several years. People forget how good Calvin Ridley was two years ago because he was quitting on football and and just being weird last year. But two years ago, he was one of the best receivers in the league. Uh, And before that, obviously, we had Julio Jones, long time, one of the best receivers in the league. All sorts of receivers have just excelled with Matt Ryan. And I think that Michael Pittman is going to be the next in that line. I think Pittman is going to go over basically everything. We'll get a little more into this when we talk about uh, our prop bet. But my concern with the Colts, beyond all the reasons I said to like them, is they have some depth issues on both the offensive line. They don't even have a left tackle right now. And if Michael Pittman is injured, this receiver room is gross. They're they're relying on Paris Campbell, another second round pick rookie. It, it's going to get ugly if Michael Pittman has to miss time. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if Pittman did have to miss time to see the Colts bring back a guy like T.Y. Hilton, who knows this offense, uh, to sort of step in and, and fill and help that void. But I have the Colts going over for all the reasons I mentioned, that nine and a half win total, just I wouldn't bet it because the juice is too high there. Minus 150 is really just gross. You don't want to bet it. It was a great early in the offseason pick if you could get it in, and I think I did get it in a few books, but just something to keep in mind. So my prop pick for the Colts, as I mentioned, is really just all about Michael Pittman being a superstar talent and having that connection with Matt Ryan. I think Matt Ryan is as good of juice for any receiver as there is. This is a guy who has repeatedly produced top five receivers in this league, just in terms of target share, guys who are just really producing at a high level. Julio Jones has had his challenges in the red zone. Matt Ryan has had his own challenges in the red zone over the last five years. Uh, We've seen him struggle uh, to get his big-bodied receiver the ball in Julio Jones. Uh, But by contrast, Calvin Ridley was a touchdown machine over his young career in Atlanta. And part of that was just the fact that Matt Ryan trusted him and developed that connection early on. Michael Pittman is the only game in town. I don't believe in Paris Campbell, and I don't believe that there's going to be really anyone else besides maybe uh, Gigantor on on the Colts. Mo Ali Cox competing for red zone targets. So if you're telling me right now that Michael Pittman is going to be the primary red zone target on this offense, uh, then I don't see any world in which he stays healthy and does not go over six and a half receiving touchdowns. I think it's minus 120 right now for Pittman to go over six and a half receiving touchdowns. But I think that is as much of a lock as there is. Maybe my favorite prop bet we've done this entire offseason. Michael Pittman is going to score, I think, double digit touchdowns this year. If you can cash that ticket in right now over six and a half touchdowns, I believe it's free money. What are you waiting for? Log in your app. Do it now. This brings us now to the Houston Texans. Not as fun of a team to talk about as the Titans or the Colts because obviously they've stunk for a few years. They're coming off a four and 13 season. They missed the playoffs. 
their odds to win the AFC South are 2,500. They have the worst odds in the division with good reason. They lose Justin Reed. Tyrod Taylor wasn't really playing for them. Jake Martin. Uh, they lose their head coach and bring in Lovey Smith, uh, their defensive coordinator from last year. David Culley seemed to do a relatively good job as far as I was concerned in keeping this team competitive. They won four games uh, despite losing Deshaun Watson. And this, to me, feels like a team that's going to run the ball a lot. You look at Pep Hamilton, some of what he's done with Lovey Smith in the past. Pep Hamilton is a new offensive coordinator who, who Lovey Smith brought with him from his stints in Chicago. You know what? I just feel like Lovey Smith, who, if anyone's tracked his career, former head coach of the Bears, this is a guy who really relies on defense. He turned this defense into a relatively fun unit. Like, they were not lying down last year. The Texans were a team that was legitimately, on paper to me, one of the worst rosters I've ever seen last year. And the fact that this team gutted out four games was incredibly impressive. And a lot of that was due to Lovey Smith's defense. So I don't see a world in which this defense is worse this year. And last year, the Texans bring in Davis Mills, second-round rookie quarterback, the surprisingly, maybe the second best rookie quarterback last year by, by all offensive metrics. He was a third round pick. I'm sorry. If there was any positives from last Texans offseason, it was Davis Mills. He, he was pretty much a bright spot on this offense. He developed a connection with Brandon Cooks. Uh, he really seemed to move the ball pretty well. He was doing a lot of dump off passes and sort of short yardage stuff. So it wasn't like he was really taking the top off of the defense. Honestly, if you look at his college tape and a lot of his college statistics, you'll see his yards per attempt, yards per completion are relatively low for for what we think of as a lot of these superstar quarterbacks. But from what I saw from Davis Mills, this guy is going to be in the league a while. He seems to be a competent game manager who I think may be a little bit too competent for a team that perhaps wants to compete for the number one overall pick next year. I think last I checked... The Texans have the second or third best odds to be the number one overall pick next year's draft. So people think they're going to be the worst team in the NFL this year. And to me, that seems insane. Their projected win total is four and a half games. They won four games last year. They won four games the year before. But really, to me, looking at this roster, how did they get worse? They bring in Derek Stingley Jr. at cornerback. Uh, They bring in Kenyon Green on the offensive line. They bring in Steven Nelson at cornerback. These are all competent players who are immediately going to step into this defense and have an impact. Uh, Steven Nelson in particular, Derek Stinley, th- these are guys on the defensive side of the ball who are going to make this Texans team a pain in the ass to play every week. And the thing is, when you look at the top three worst teams in the league, usually they're not teams that are good on defense or at least frisky on defense. Last year's Texans team was relatively frisky on defense. Uh, Their offensive woes were really what killed them early in the year, and they just really could not put together anything on offense. Even when Mills was playing a little bit better, it was just a team that struggled to move the ball consistently in the wake of Deshaun Watson. But if you're telling me now, this defense got a little bit better, we get another year of development for Davis Mills, and now the Texans have Brandon Cooks back, who is capable of moving the sticks, who developed a pretty good connection with Davis Mills over the second half of last year. On top of all these things, you're one of four or five teams who have multiple first-round picks going into next year's draft. They're positioned uniquely to be able to trade up for a top pick to draft a quarterback next year without having to bottom out. I think the Texans are going to try their best to be competitive this year, maybe win five or six games, and develop something of a system to bring a rookie quarterback into next year. Everything that you read about the Texans seems to indicate that they wanted to hire Josh McCown this year. They wanted to bring in Josh McCown as their head coach. 
I don't know what he said to trick the Texans owners into thinking he's some sort of savant, but the Texans wanted to bring him in as their head coach this year. So what I think happens with this Texans team this year is they're frisky enough on defense to compete in games. Davis Mills shows maybe a little bit of promise. Maybe he's not a franchise quarterback, but he shows himself to be a competent game manager. And this team racks off five or six wins. I would not be shocked to see that because I don't see a world in which this team got worse. I don't see a world in which, barring Davis Mills getting injured, God forbid, that this team does not win at least four games. So with that said, I have to take the Texans over four and a half. I think that the Texans are going to win five or six games. I think they're going to be a pain in the ass. They're not going to be the usual rollover they've been of the last several years based both on their defensive improvements and another year of development for Davis Mills. The division got better. I recognize that. But if the Titans regress, somebody's going to pull wins from that number one seed Titans. And I think the Texans are poised to do that. In terms of a prop pick, for this Texans team, I have to take Brandon Cooks over 950 and a half receiving yards. Brandon Cook has only failed to reach 1,000 receiving yards one time since his rookie year, and it was when he was chronically injured his second last season with the Rams. So if Brandon Cooks is healthy, he's going to get 1,000 yards as far as I'm concerned. What is with this line? I don't understand this line, and that makes me sort of doubtful of it. What I think is happening here is Brandon Cooks is not a fun player to bet on. He's one of the least fun players to bet on, I would say. Nobody wants to bet on Davis Mills. Nobody wants to bet on the Texans. And you know what? Brandon Cooks just gets it done. So bet on Brandon Cooks over 950 and a half receiving yards. This guy's been in the league for like nine years. He's gone over this total seven times. One of the unders was when he was a rookie. The other time was when he's hurt. So there's some element of risk in any of these over-under bets. And I think that Brandon Cooks is as good of a bet as any. Finally, the last team we're going to talk about here in our AFC South Divisional Preview is the Jacksonville Jaguars. 3-14 and 14 last year, the worst team in the NFL. They hired a human jackass uh, as head coach, Urban Meyer, the only rookie head coach ever to get fired midway through his first season, which is unbelievable. Now that Urban Meyer's gone, they replace him with an adult in Doug Peterson. By all the quotes coming out of training camp, seems to really like everyone, seems to be really instilling a professional environment in Jacksonville, which I think the franchise needed. The Jacksonville front office essentially went off the rails this season. They signed any able-bodied free agent they could find. They overpaid for everyone. They bring in Brandon Scherf, Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram. They lose some guys, obviously, DJ Chark, Miles Jack, on linebacker, Andrew Norwell. But these guys broke the bank in free agency. They, they brought in bodies. They wanted Scherf on the offensive line to sure things up. They paid Christian Kirk and broke the wide receiver market single-handedly, which I, I don't necessarily agree with. They paid Evan Ingram, who essentially plays the same position as Christian Kirk, which is bizarre. I live in New York. I see how much this guy drops passes. I think they may be a little bit disappointed with Evan Ingram as a player uh, and his general inability to block or be useful outside of getting open and dropping balls. But for all that, I think the Jaguars are getting a little bit too much flack this year. Part of that is that it's easy to dunk on the team that was number one pick last year. It's easy to joke about a team that hired Urban Meyer, who basically, even at the time he was hired, everyone said, this is going to be a disaster. And obviously it was a disaster. With that said, people looked at that Christian Kirk contract and, and how it essentially reset the wide receiver market. Even myself, I'm, I'm calling out myself for this. I was so hard on the Jags. I was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. But the reality is the Jaguars don't get free agents. You have to overpay to get guys to Jacksonville. And if you acknowledge that reality and you realize that if they did get Christian Kirk, Trevor Lawrence was going to be throwing the ball to some absolute like Jags, just guys off the street, uh, some YMCA guys. You have to realize that this is sort of the cost of doing business. And, and it's not necessarily the end of the world that they overpaid for a guy who maybe 
Uh, as the cap goes up, this contract isn't as bad. I just think it's gotten easy to dunk on the Jaguars. And I, I think it's sort of lazy to not acknowledge the fact that they are doing what they can to build an infrastructure around Trevor Lawrence. Even if you disagree with the way they're going about that, they're bringing in guys like Trayvon Walker, first overall pick uh, at defensive end, Devin Lloyd. These are really talented young players. Uh, they're building their defense the right way with these young homegrown guys. They had one of the worst receiving groups in the league last year before Christian Kirk came there. They led the NFL in 41 drops, their receivers, a 7.4% drop rate after finishing with just 24 the year before. So everyone inside the facility there clearly looked around and was like, we need a receiver who can catch the ball. I'm not sure that Evan Ingram fixes that problem, but still, he is a talented player who maybe you can shape into a capable pass catcher uh, who could be a reliable receiver for Trevor Lawrence. Listen, I don't really have an answer to whether these were terrible moves. I, I tend to think they were terrible signings, but I'm high on Doug Peterson as a coach. This guy has shown nothing but competency in terms of leading a franchise, and I have the utmost faith in Doug Peterson outside of whatever the GM has done this offseason to bring this group together and help Trevor Lawrence take that next step. Because ultimately, whatever we think about the free agency signings, whatever we think about how this Jaguars team fits together, this whole season for the Jaguars comes down to whether Trevor Lawrence develops. This team is projected six and a half games. And I tend to think they're going to go over. I don't say that very confidently. And, and the reason for that is because I don't like this roster, but I also just believe that Doug Peterson is going to make this team into a pain in the ass to play against. And I don't want to bet the under on any team that I project to be a pain in the ass. If you're not going to be a rollover, I don't want to take you as an under because I know how these late season backdoor covers end up. I don't have a prop pick anymore for the Jaguars, and this is why. I was going to pick Christian Kirk. He was injured. I don't know the level of his injury. If it does ultimately result in being a minor injury, I love Christian Kirk over five and a half receiving touchdowns. And the reason is simple. He's going to be the primary receiver in this offense, an offense that's going to score maybe twice as many touchdowns this year, perhaps. Uh, they're going to score points this offense, and somebody has to catch touchdowns in this offense. I think Christian Kirk, for all the memeing and all the making fun of the team that we've done, uh, he's going to catch touchdowns if he's healthy. So if he's healthy, I'm all in on Christian Kirk over five and a half receiving touchdowns. Thanks as always for listening. I will be back next week with another divisional preview. Until then, I'll talk to you guys soon.